Welcome to Tactical and Practical Live, an HCI podcast that brings you practical knowledge and concrete ways to win the war for talent. Now coming to you live from HCI's Main Street studio in downtown Cincinnati, here is your host, Alan Mellish. Hello and welcome everyone to this, another episode of the Human Capital Institute's Tactical and Practical Live. I'm Alan Mellish and I clearly didn't prepare enough today. Um, this is the HCI podcast where we pick a topic and do a deep dive with a subject matter expert to get practical advice, tactics, and tools to help you solve your challenges with human capital at your organization. So before we get started, I want to remind everyone to rate and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you've got a comment on Twitter, uh, use the hashtag HCILive. My guest today is Dr. Jenna, Jenna Filipkowski, Ph.D. In addition to having a difficult name, she's also an <laughs> Ohio psychologist. Jenna is the head of research and our resident internal coach here at HCI. And Jenna, welcome to Tactical yeah, and Practical. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So we'll jump right in here. Uh, we uh, are here today to discuss coaching cultures and the rising class of millennial leaders. So I want to start off with a big, uh, you know, let's lay everything out here, do some basic, what is a coaching culture and why is it important to your organization? Yeah. And a little bit about um, my background before I dive into that so mm-hmm. people understand like what I'm, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've part, the HCI uh, has partnered with the ICF, the International Coach Federation for the past five years to study what a coaching culture is and what it can do for your organization. And this year, actually, we're going to study coaching cultures and change management. So if you're interested in that topic, um, we will have a survey opening up in June. Um, But last year, we studied coaching cultures and millennial leaders. So these are first-time managers, people who are new to um, leadership, and what specific do they need regards of development and coaching to to be better in their roles? Mm -hmm. Because you always hear that thing like, oh, they're moving from an individual contributor to a manager, and they might not have the skill sets needed. It's it's a different skill set. I don't think many people acknowledge it or give managers, new managers, the support they need to transition into that new role. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's uh, what's the expression? What got you here won't get you uh, won't get you there. Yeah. Where you know you, you killed it as an individual, but then all of a sudden there's all these people that you're responsible for, and they have questions and concerns, and you're not just managing yourself; you're managing people. So yeah, people and, plural. And people are, are can be difficult. It's an, it's not <laughs> a technical skill; it's a social and emotional skill. Um, so it, it's different for that. So when we do this research with the ICF, we've We've quantified what a coaching culture is and looks like and what the benefits are. Um, and there's a variety of factors that go into it. So just in case I forgot, I, I came prepared. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you have a coaching culture, you have employees and your senior leaders all value coaching. They see the, the purpose of it. They see the impact of it. Um, you also have managers and leaders and or if your organization has internal coaches. So these are professional coaches who work inside your organization mm-hmm. um, with various leaders or different teams or groups to use coaching skills with them. Or you have managers and leaders who've been trained. They're not professional coaches, but they've been trained in coaching skills and they coach their teams. Mm-hmm. Um, in a coaching culture, you have coaching as a fixture, as a line item in the budget. So you actually dedicate resources to right. those internal coaches or using external coaches um, or using training for your managers and leaders to use coaching skills. Um, in a coaching culture, also, you have everyone has opportunity to be coached by a professional coach practitioner. And that's 
one of the lowest rated items. Not many people are there yet, but it's it's growing. And um, in a coaching culture, all three coaching modalities are present. So the external coach practitioners, internal coach practitioners, and the managers and leaders who use coaching skills. Right. And so in a, in a formal coaching relationship, you are uh, in a uh, with a coach and client relationship, the, there's a reason why we don't say managers actually are coaches. Correct. We like to be very precise with that language yeah. because coaching is a profession. People go through training. They go through a credit, credit credentialing process. Um, we don't want to discount the, 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 the background and the training and experiences that professional coach practitioners have. But, what, but obviously coaching is a very powerful tool, so why not allow and train managers to use some of those mm-hmm. skill sets within their teams? Right, right. And so, uh, uh, so we've talked a little bit about what a coaching culture is, and uh, let's talk a little bit about what kind of value it can add to your organization if you're either almost there or really firing on all cylinders as a coaching culture. What's the benefit? Yeah, so unfortunately, we haven't done like an experiment where we like put one organization through coaching and one not. Right. Um, so we're only able to do like correlational research. So and we then saw there's the placebo too. Like you have a fake coaching culture. <laughs> oh, that just a really terrible <laughs> yeah. coach. You just have a high school coach that comes in and yells at <laughs> and people. Blows whistles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so those organizations who endorse all of these items that I just mentioned, the value in coaching, the budget the budget line for coaching, um, those organizations do have hot, report more engaged employees and they also report better financial performance. Mm-hmm. So it, it might be just a general overall fact that these organizations do perform well because they invest in coaching or they're doing well so they decided to invest in coaching. Mm-hmm. We don't really know for sure, right? Um, but we do see that that correlation is present. Yeah, so even if, uh, yeah, even if you can't say empirically exactly that this is the cause and the effect, yeah. they seem to go together, and that's exactly. powerful enough to at least make the case to start investing. Yeah, in and there's decades of research on what coaching can do, like interpersonally, and how it can help someone um, in their own role. So we can borrow from that literature to say, yes, yeah, so there is evidence that coaching does work. Sure. Yeah. Right. And just before we go any further, good people of Facebook and Twitter, I did not mean to denigrate the hard work that high school coaches of athletic sports do. I was just saying that <laughs> that you would not maybe ask a high school football coach to come in and teach your employees how to uh, achieve their career goals. Mm-hmm. Although I bet a few, there's plenty that could, but it wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't necessarily advocate for mm-hmm. that. And that's the challenge with because everyone has a different idea of what coaching right. is in their mind. So some people just picture the person on the sideline as like the, the athletic coach and that's yeah. a coach. But that that person can be using coaching skills with sure. their team. They can be asking powerful questions, using active listening, mm-hmm. forming a relationship to make sure that that person perceives trust and intimacy among the team members. So if it's that coach can truly be using coaching skills. Yeah. 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 And so, and we're kind of going in nicely. We've talked about what a coaching culture is and let's talk more specifically about what, what coaches do what, mm-hmm. or what coaching behaviors are, whether they're being used by a certified coach or by uh, a manager who has been trained on using them. Mm-hmm. So coaches who are certified through the ICF would have to follow the list of coaching competencies Um, And those are things I just mentioned. So active listening, establishing trust and intimacy, establishing a um, a coaching agreement, which is almost either a formal or just a a verbal document saying 
this is what coaching is. This is mm-hmm. what we're responsible for. Um, uh, managing progress and accountability, goal setting. So there's there's very specific tactical things that a, a professional coach practitioner would yeah. do. Unfortunately, in the research, we don't know. So if that's what a professional coach practitioner does and is effective at doing, we don't really know, okay, the managers need to do like half of those or these to a lesser degree. We don't mm. know for sure what works. But what we do see, and there's a lot of training on, for managers to use coaching skills, is help, how to make a relationship happen, how mm-hmm. to be empathetic, how to listen well, and how to ask questions that propel that person to new possibilities and, and forward motion. Yeah. And so um, I like to think of it like a spice blend or a, or a stew where you're, you know, you've know you got all these things going on in there and you're not, especially if you're not a professional chef or some sort of scientist, you don't really know what 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 it is about that combination that is giving you the result you want mm-hmm. but you know that you you have a pretty good idea that uh, all of these things going together um will help somebody reach their career goals or help that person help that manager do a better job of mm-hmm. Uh, of getting that person engaged and performing at their best. Yeah. And I, I wish I knew the exact site, but I, I so I went to the coach training last mm-hmm. year and they reinforced the power. It doesn't matter what process or model or whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship yeah. that matters the most. So if we could help managers form better relationships with their team members mm-hmm. and we all know what it feels like to be in a good relationship. We, right. we feel heard. We feel like we could express our, our opinions and our voices. Um, so I think that that relates to what what we're doing coach training for these for these managers. Yeah, yeah, and I know that um, uh, uh, Google said that one of the things that's important for great teams is a sense of psychological safety, and mm-hmm. so it sounds like a manager who's using co- coaching skills will uh, will be not only creating great trusting relationships with their team members one on one, but also probably trying to promote a better. Uh, overall team dynamic so that yeah. if we're on the same team we know that we can trust each other and mm-hmm. be heard and and say something without necessarily worrying about looking stupid or ask the stupid question that might lead to something uh important in a discussion yes yes and of course if google said it it must yeah it must right be true. <laughs> yeah, exactly google and wikipedia <laughs> um so uh, let's get into the research a little bit, and we'll, uh, everybody, we'll make sure that we uh, link to this in the uh, in the show notes once the podcasts are published on all of our different platforms. But um, uh, and the title of it is, I think, uh, building a coaching culture with millennial leaders. Uh, perfect. So um, there's, uh, as Jenna mentioned, there's some a couple of years of research on different uh, aspects of coaching culture, but specifically for these. Millennial, uh, I wanted to get into, are there any generational differences between coaching and other talent development methods? Is there preferences that people have uh, mm-hmm. depending on where, what generational category they fall into? Mm-hmm. And so when we started this research last year, everyone here is like, oh, millennials, they're so, well, first they're terrible and, <laughs> right. and they're so yeah. different than us. Yeah, we are. And <laughs> we are and they we are. are. So, we're so terrible. <laughs> but there, there's been a lot of good research from, from hopefully from us and from others that said there really are no differences. It's just a stage of life difference. Right. Um, so you and I are both millennials. We're going through unique things with young families mm-hmm. and young, early in our career versus people who are older or younger than us. So, of course, we're going to have differences in that way. Right. Um, 
so in terms of the unique, when we did this research, we kind of knew that in the back of our mind, like there really wouldn't be much differences between what people want out of work and want out of their managers. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't find those differences. Yeah. Um, so across the board, we looked at, I forget, Generation Z to um, past the baby boomers. So uh, silent generation, yeah, is that right? Up, yeah. I think up to like 75 age, year olds we looked at. Yeah. And they're really, um, in terms of the top, what they want out of work was not... There was, there was no, no, di- no big differences. Yeah. So, and what did they want out of work? Yeah, let the, me find my um, my notes there. The other thing, uh, it's interesting because Jenna and I are both, I think, early millennials. So in some well, ways... Well, actually, we have, we're, mid, we're core millennials. Oh, we're core millennials. Yeah. Wait, when were you born? So, uh, <laughs> 85. Oh, okay, well, I'm 84, so there's okay. no difference, yeah. basically. And what they wanted... Um, so they wanted, uh, every, every, all age groups wanted recognition for quality work, um, manager support, and opportunities to share feedback with decision makers. Yeah. Um, yeah, and those were the top two. So recognition, having a supportive manager, mm-hmm. and opportunities to share feedback to, so to be heard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, yeah, I, can th- I think probably a lot of people, you know, like Jenna said, you know when you're in a good relationship uh, and you also you really know when you're in a bad relationship because like I think sometimes in the mid, when you're maybe like I think I have a pretty good relationship with my manager but if you have a really bad relationship with your manager you know, you, sure. yeah it's not a it's not a question yeah um, so uh, the so the preferences really didn't change it was all uh, it was all about what stage of life they were in mm-hmm. um, which uh, which makes sense when you're starting to, when you have a baby, you have much more baby like concerns. And when you have an older child, it's much more like athletic competitions and being their chauffeur, chauffeur, mm-hmm. uh, and then empty nester, you're kind of like figuring out what do I do now that I have no kids in the house? So it's, yeah. uh, life is, uh, uh, life is, ha- life has many seasons. So um, did you find anything in the research that was, uh, you know, for these new or newish millennial managers, did you find anything that, uh, that seemed to work better, uh, in terms of what did you find as far as, uh, things we can take action on at our mm-hmm. own organizations, yeah. like to make this transition better for them and also give them a way to, uh, to be successful in their first people leader yeah. Kind of role. So in that in that research from last year, we looked at so what they want out of work. We also looked at their values and preferences, and mm-hmm. really found no differences. Mm-hmm. And then we turned our focus on so these millennials. Everyone's talking about millennials, so let's talk about millennials too. Mm-hmm. Um, what what should they be doing as they move into these first time people leader positions? So when we asked that question, um, the number the three things that they want, three competencies that these first time people leaders who are millennials should be able to do are coaching to developing others, mm-hmm. um, engaging and inspiring others, and having emotional intelligence. So very high-touch social-emotional mm-hmm. activities that these um, managers need to be able to do. Which makes sense because probably uh, if you succeeded as an individual, you were scoring high on all of the technical proficiency that went along with your job, but now that matters less in a management role. Uh, and then all of the emotional people yeah, stuff come up. comes up. Yeah. Yeah. You could be a jerk as an individual so long as you were. <laughs> so as you produce results. Yeah, 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 exactly. If your culture allows for that, yeah. yeah. How many movies have we seen where, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood, he, he gets results. He gets results. <laughs> 
So that's what we we want from our first time people leaders, and then the ways we're developing them. Um, so coaching really isn't top of that list. Mm-hmm. So I think only twenty percent offer coaching to first time people leaders, and yeah. as someone who is a coach, studies coaching, has been trained as a coach, I, I wish that number was higher. We tend to reserve um, professional coach practitioners for those in um, upper level positions. Right. Yeah. Um, it's more of a, a an executive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing that I think is interesting is that, uh, isn't it true historically that a lot of the time um, coaching for executives is seen as an intervention when somebody's doing poorly rather than developing somebody who's promising mm-hmm. often? And I know that's changed, but that's, uh, it's like looking at it more as like, you need, you need help yeah. rather than like, let's encourage you and get you, uh, and get you reaching your potential rather than let's stop you being terrible. Yeah. And, uh, and in our new research that we're going to release in, well, release in September, but launch in June, um, we're going to look at, so when are coaches brought in? Is it mm-hmm. when a change management effort has like gone off the tracks and it's failing or yeah. is it like proactive and developmental focus? And I, I, and I think others would agree with me that it, the tide is changing towards coaching is a, a positive and it's like mm-hmm. a career booster. So right. I'm proud that I have a coach. I am excited that I have a coach and right. I want everyone to know I have a coach versus I'm, I'm ashamed by it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the, it also, I think the timing of it too is, is interesting because if I, if things are going relatively well, but I'd like to make improvements and I bring a coach into my work life, that's one thing, but then it feel it just feels different to, uh, to you and the people around you. Like instead of I'm going for a checkup with my doctor, I'm going to like, let's talk about this blood test you just had. Like mm-hmm. we're trying to fix an issue that's presented itself rather mm-hmm. than proactively, mm-hmm. you know, identify that thing and, yeah. uh, uh, and make it, uh, make it work more for you. And that's why there's like these natural transition points. So moving to a new Sure. new role or moving to a new function or a new team are, are great points to interject coaching through because mm-hmm. it's like there's already the changes there right and that coach can help this person figure out what are the skills i need to best who do i need to be in this role to succeed and work with them to to get there right at a faster time yeah it's a natural point to have that conversation yeah and f- probably feels feels less like somebody's being less like for the person who's getting coached it feels less like they're getting put under the microscope and more like you know hey like we want you to do to do the best that you're capable of and we're going to give you a tool many tools one of which is coaching to to help you get there exactly so if we're not coaching first-time managers we're doing things like um and this is what we found in the research, giving them exposure to senior leaders. So FaceTime mm-hmm. with people above them so they kind of role model um, what they need to do. Um, e-learning, classroom training. Um, we are giving them training on how to use coaching skills, yeah. so, which will uh, obviously affect the number one thing they're supposed to do, which is yeah. coach and develop others. So that's, that's yeah. very positive. Um, and then action learning and uh, mentoring are some of the things that we're doing to develop our first-time managers. Yeah, and just for the people who may not know, um, and I get confused about it sometimes too, is so what's the difference between having a mentor and having a coach? Okay, Um, great question. So a mentor will um, tell you what's best for you based on their experience. Mm -hmm. So say you're interested in research 
moving into a research role, I could mm. be like, well, Alan, this is what this is what worked for me. This is what I did here. This mm. is um, the background and training I, well, that will be helpful for you. Talk yeah. to this person. Read this book. Versus coaching would be allowing you to find the answers for yourself mm-hmm. um, by asking, by forming a relationship with you, by asking you questions, by listening to what you said, and and helping you move forward towards the what you want to see happen. Got it. Yeah, the uh, and that makes sense because when you're seeking out a mentor, um, it's on the it's it, hopefully it's in the field or related to the field that you're going into or trying to improve your performance in. It's a it's sort of a a technical expert yeah. that you're asking for. You know, okay, I did this. It didn't work. What do you think about if I did this next time? And so there's there's probably some of the coaching kind of conversation going on nestled in there but um, and there should be that'd be yeah. that'd be great to like mentoring relationships to have yeah. coaching in with that right yeah. but then the coach is much more um uh and full disclosure everybody i've uh had a bunch of coaching sessions with jenna so i can i know of which i speak i could uh, it's definitely um, uh, it's more exploratory when you're figuring out, okay, so what, uh, a lot of it is what kind of goal do I want to pursue, um, whether it's in work or life, and then the, a series of questions to kind of probe around, uh, get you to start thinking out loud, okay, what steps can I do to, to do this, or alternatively avoid doing something else that will derail my, uh, my effort at getting towards the goal. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it, it's a pretty interesting process and I mm-hmm. recommend people checking it out. Um, especially millennials, especially millennials. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, uh, and especially like, you know, we're still in kind of the early years of our careers and, um, it, it, you know, things are kind of, uh, I guess more chaotic in organiz not not necessarily chaotic, but it's a high change, like high flux kind of state in most organizations that you might be working at. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think coaching is probably a great way to help you get some clarity and focus, um, and uh, and and help you do things like develop your resilience in the face of change when things don't don't go the way you want, or you get some. Uh, unpleasant feedback from somebody um, coaching can be a great way to explore some of those areas and uh, and think things through yep so um, uh, uh, this has been a great conversation so far I guess um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to cover a couple of uh, practical tips for people if somebody's uh, we have a question oh we have a question awesome Bring it on. What's the question, Ben? It's about your top list, uh, intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence, engagement, and um, coaching. Is that result only in the U.S.? Yeah, so most of our sample, unfortunately, is just U.S.-focused. Um, I think it was like 78% are from North American countries um, when we did that study. Yep. Excellent. And this reminds me, we'll need, we need to work out a, sig- a signal beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> So that I don't just think our producers making no uh, <laughs> like making noise to make noise. Um, uh, yeah, that was a, that's great. And uh, please ask more questions if, uh, if as they occur. So the uh, the other thing I was uh, looking to get to was um, you know let's say we're we're talking to somebody who is either 
who's new in a management role or somebody who maybe in HR is responsible for helping new managers transition into that role? I guess what kinds of um, experiences or um, uh, advice would you give them to start, uh, some easy ways to start applying coaching principles when they're working with their teams? So if you're a new manager and how to use coaching with your team? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think first thing that might need to happen is a mindset mindset shift that is not all about you anymore and your performance. It's about others, um, which can be sometimes difficult to to make that switch. Mm -hmm. So when you... um, when you're working with your team and hoping and using coaching skills with them, developing them, you need to remember that. And it's not about, um, it's not about you anymore. Truthfully, if you're, if you're a strong leader. Um, and then, so we saw that in our research that managers are getting training on using coaching skills. Yeah. And that can vary from like a one hour Google search to what, what a coaching skills look like to a more intensive, um, training, or I know some people who um, were in my um, my cohort for for um, my coach training were actually managers themselves, so they were interested in, in mm-hmm. using coaching with their team, and that was an intensive year long program. So I think it depends on maybe an accurate reflection of where you are and how yeah. confident you are moving into this new role, um, and maybe seek out coaching for yourself to see how what, what that yeah. what that was experience is like and how it can impact others. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I think the, uh, I like the, um, I want to drill down into on the behavior of asking good questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so what does that mean? Because I mean, uh, it it could just mean like, why (laughs) some people, somebody might just take that to be like, I need to ask more questions. Like, why did you do this? Like, why, (laughs) why can't you do this? Uh, so what's a good example of a, of a question that you might uh, ask somebody? Well, role play, like, let's say, um, I need to, uh, I'm talking to you about my career and I'm saying, you know, I realize that, um, I don't find this, you know, I don't find managing the work schedule for everybody to be a lot of fun. I would like to, uh, what I really enjoy is, um, uh, is uh, is coming up with the menu at the restaurant that I've invented. Oh, so you, you yeah. as a coachy, you're saying you'd rather be doing something else. Yeah, I'd rather be doing something else, and okay. uh, and I don't know. Uh, I want to know. Uh, I want to know how I can um, how I can get rid of this task, or uh, uh, you know, what do, what what can I do to maximize the the thing that I feel like I'm good at? Okay. So what about managing? the restaurant menu makes you feel like what about managing the restaurant menu how, what does that impact on you like what does it feel like to be doing that um i like the way that i'm creating a, an experience for the person who comes to the restaurant mm-hmm. and i like the fact that um uh, that it's sort of in some ways a, a representation of my ideas or my creations as a uh, as a chef coming to life, and I like to write the descriptions so that I'm again um, uh, bringing people into the the experience the uh, the experience I want them to have. So being creative, developing experiences for others is mm-hmm. important to you. Yes. Yeah. How are you doing that in your current role? Um. Uh, Currently, when I'm uh, when I'm not creating the menu, uh, 
I'm, I feel like I'm doing, uh, I am preparing a lot of the food. So I know that, uh, goes, goes directly to the customer. And so I enjoy, I guess I enjoy that aspect of it, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the, um, setting the work schedule while I understand it's important to the operation of the restaurant, I just hate doing it because everybody complains mm-hmm. when I, when they don't get the hours that they want mm-hmm. and uh, or they don't get the the days of the week that they want to work and uh, and so it's really a thank thankless task and um, and it's also pretty boring. Okay. And what would you want instead? I would like to give it to somebody else. What's stopping you from doing that? Um, I feel like if I gave it to somebody else, they wouldn't do a very good job of it. Mm-hmm. And then I'd have to micromanage them to, to do that. And then it would take just as much time and I'd still be unhappy. How do you know that for sure? Um, I, do, I guess I don't. I guess I could, I could. I guess I could find somebody who could do it. Okay. So that's a little mini yeah. <laughs> example of a we hypothetical. Got, we got in deep. I have a rich life as the sous chef or whatever I was at that restaurant. So, no, like, what did you notice then? I noticed that um, uh, I noticed that I was getting more uh, clarity uh, around what specifically what it was that I liked about the task that I really liked doing, um, and so that, and also other areas that I could get that same feeling from, but also I think I got an idea of, um, uh, I, we started taking apart some of the, we had a solu- potential solution for the problem of the schedule and we started going down a path towards maybe there's a solution where you could give it to somebody else as more responsibility mm-hmm. or whatever and, uh, uh, and at least um, ameliorate some of the uh, some of the dislike I had for the task. Now, maybe part of it would be fine. Part of that solution would end up being finding somebody who really likes sort of imposing order on things mm-hmm. and uh, would really enjoy the extra responsibility because hopefully you wouldn't just push the task onto somebody who's going to hate it even yeah. more than you do. <laughs> but uh, again, that's part of like making things not about you as a manager. Yeah. Um, and I think your question was, so what is coaching look like or feel yeah. like so notice like I wasn't like well why like right. just do it I right went, I was and I don't pretend to be like a master coach but yeah. I, I was curious and I was interested and I mm-hmm. was focused on what you were saying yeah and using what you were saying to for my next question right um I wasn't imposing I wasn't like oh well of course you need to make the me- you need to do the scheduling because that's part of your job I wasn't um, which just makes it harder when you're, if I was your boss right. coaching you, I'm like, well, if he did that, then maybe I have to do it and I don't want to do it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, it's good to have a little bit of distance in, yeah. in the relationship so that there's, uh, 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 well, of course, you want the manager to use some of those coaching skills. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that's the value of having a true um, professional uh, leadership coach who can have uh, have strategic distance from whatever issues yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So a professional coach practitioner who wasn't employed by the fictitious restaurant right. would be a very neutral party it, mm-hmm. that he or she has no skin in the game for what outcome you chose versus right. if I was your leader and you were working for my restaurant of course I yeah, what you, you do affects me for sure yeah. yeah so that makes managers using coaching skills frankly a little more challenging because yeah. how do you balance that and I I would love to hear from our audience to know if how how they effectively do that cuz that's 
that's kind of hard to do. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, uh, and I mean, that's kind of, I guess, some of the challenges of management in a nutshell beyond all of the just sort of being emotionally intelligent because you get to be emotionally intelligent and just use it to, like, move people around like pawns on a chessboard. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, but being emotionally intelligent and being a good communicator and uh, and asking good questions and everything that we've been talking about as far as what makes a good manager and creating a safe relationship is um, it's also challenging by the fact that you know while you're trying to be this uh, sort of uh, you're trying to play this I'm manager hat role now but you're also there's also still always that person inside of you who is worried about their own career yeah and worried about um, what their manager thinks of them and how their performance review goes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's definitely a balance that, uh, mm-hmm. that you have to uh, take on. I think if a simple tip would be just take the time, focus on the relationship, and mm-hmm. instead of telling people what to do, help them arrive at the answer that would best work for them in mm-hmm. the organization. And you mentioned in your fictitious example, not wanting to give up control because they wouldn't do it the way you would do it. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's leadership. You can't <laughs> control everything right. that everyone else is doing around you. You have to say that's, that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in, um, in organizations where, you know, um, I think this, let me be clear. I think this kind of stuff applies to all organizations. Um, uh, but in some organizations where you have, uh, much more of a rigid hierarchy of, you know, this person does this job, this is their sphere, their sphere of responsibility is very clear. And yeah. so if something goes wrong within that sphere, that's their responsibility. But in organizations like HCI or anything uh, that is more knowledge work focused um, or uh, customer service centric, there's definitely going to be a lot of gray areas of, uh, you know, this person may not know what the expectation is for their role. And so, uh, and so there's not as many clear lines between this person always does the schedule or this person always responds to these types of calls. Yeah. Um, a lot more gray. Yeah. yeah. So that's a challenge too for, uh, for managers. Um, so I think, uh, we are almost out of time here. Yeah. We, uh, um, I want to, Jenna, we really want to, really enjoyed this one. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it was fun. I'm glad we got our, uh, got a question from the audience. Uh, <laughs> please do more of that. And, um, again, uh, the, uh, I think that's all we have for today. So, Jenna, thank you so much for being generous with your time. I toyed with the idea of turning you into Dr. Jenna. Just saying Dr. Dr. Jenna. Jenna every time, like you were Dr. Phil or Dr. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, don't, but, I don't like that. <laughs> but uh, if you want to learn more about Jenna and all the great work she's doing, you can check her out on LinkedIn. She's pretty active there. And also look for new research reports on hci.org. Yeah. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion on the show, please email us at uh, tpl at hci.org. We just might read it on the next show. And don't forget to rate us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.